Happy New Year, Granville. My name's Wayne Elderton, and I've been a uh, elder here at the church. I was on the transitional leadership team. I've been on the leadership team, and now on the board. Uh, you put that all together, it doesn't mean I'm qualified to be up here, it just means I'm old. Hopefully you've had a bit of a Christmas break. Uh, I'm actually kind of raring to get back to work. I, I, I was so bored yesterday, I actually finished three books. And believe me, that, that's a lot of coloring. <laughs> Let's get into the message which is called Reflecting the Light. So, what I'm going to ask is, do I have a PowerPoint or not? If not, I'll have to figure things out. <laughs> if so, just give me the no or yes. Working on it, okay. It might, it might appear <laughs> at some point. All right. For a lump of coal to be useful, it needs to expend itself in the work of burning to produce heat. It'll be used up and eventually consumed in its temporary effort to become heat energy. However, under pressure and heat and the care of a master craftsman, the lump of coal can become a diamond. Its usefulness is simply in reflecting the light. It will bring, bring beauty by simply being what it was meant and designed to be. It takes on the presence of the light and shares it to all its surroundings. In our Christian walk, there's kind of an age-old conundrum. The tension between doing, that's the things and the actions we engage in as we live out our faith, versus being, which is our character and who we are in Christ. Christians typically lean towards the culture's definition of success, which thrives on constant activity, idolizes education, wealth, beauty, popularity, and influence. But in all this commotion, we're typically not very intentional, but rather functional, like cars on autopilot. Our cram schedules, our endless to-do lists, our demanding schools, jobs, families, constant noise, information bombardment, and anxieties keep us speeding up, not slowing down. Our culture is exceptional at sucking our attention onto life-robbing idols. Theologian Richard Foster comments that our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Be honest, show of hands. Does anyone feel like their life is on a hamster wheel? That you're being consumed like the lump of coal? All you watching at home? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> but we had confession with Dan at the beginning, so you're covered, no, not a problem. Some of, us, some of us don't even know what we're rushing around for. Is it gonna happen? Yes, no, okay. There was a person at work, and one day his boss drove up in a really nice Lamborghini. And when he arrived at work, the person asked, wow, that's an amazing car. He replied, if you work hard, put all your hours in and strive for excellence, I'll get another one next year. 
What are you working for? Now, Scripture clearly teaches us that we should do things for God, and our work should be part of that. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we read verses like that, the challenge is we simply transfer our cultural norms and values into our church life. But other verses about doing show different angles. Yes, we're called to action, but we're taught that we can't achieve anything in God's economy. It's Jesus working through us. So next slide, if you can get there. John 15, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The point is, though it seems we're supposed to do a lot, the only way to not just transfer our upside-down cultural values is to redirect our attention and our emphasis, our effort, in our striving towards being. The Christian journey is all about being with, where doing gets sorted out as a result. Now, if you're anything like me, the moment I even said that, a number of us had a protest thought that came to mind, and it went something like this. So, so you mean I'm just supposed to get nothing done and just be? It brings to mind the picture of just sitting cross-legged in the middle of a room. It even clashes with the bent many evangelical churches have where we're the ones who came up with that old misguided saying you may be familiar with, so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. The real saying should actually go, if you're appropriately heavenly minded, you'll be of the most earthly good. It takes a while for most disciples of Christ to figure out our misdirected striving is just expending ourselves like the lump of coal, even if our energies are directed towards Christian ministry. Here's how Matthew puts it, next slide, in perspective. Are you tired? This is from the message. Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and I'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When we come to Jesus in regular, intentional encounter with him, inexplicably, things happen. Or not. Instead of living with the premise that if I don't do it, it's not going to get done, we're to look to simply keep company with him. Scripture contains a number of facets that I've found harmonize this mysterious interplay between being with Jesus and doing things for Jesus. They produce a state of being that orients your inner life, but at the same time overflows to your outer life. These are the big angles of our diamond shape that reflect him. They're captured in what I call the big transcendent concept words of scripture. For example, love. Is that about being or doing? And as a good Canadian, we answer, yes. (laughs) Truth, hope, grace, 
big transcendent concept words. Paul, if you're listening, great sermon series idea. The big concept word I'd like to dive into today was one that we saw during Advent. It's captured in the next slide with the Hebrew word shalom. The closest English equivalent is peace. But like many English words, the fullness of the meaning gets lost. Peace in English is actually all about absence. Absence of hostilities. Absence of worry, of strife, absence of threat. It can be applied to what we would call outer peace, but also absence of the things internally, which we would often call inner peace. The story is told of a famous competition. The event was about depicting the word peace. It was an art competition. Many great artists participated. And the competition was intense. There were skillfully painted landscapes of calm, still waters and lush green meadows and white fluffy clouds in blue skies. However, there was one painting that at first glance seemed out of place. It's a harsh landscape with lightning storms and raging floodwaters over a barren rocky cliff. It's a strange visual for a painting about peace, but at a closer glance, one can see another story unfolding. Tucked into a ledge in the rock, we see a cozy nest with a mother bird. She sits at peace in the midst of a violent storm. The judges unanimously chose this is the winner of the contest. This is the starting point of our exploration this morning of the word shalom. And we'll go to the next slide. At a couple of points in this message, I'd like us to pause with a short prayer and start us into a journey of God's shalom. And I'm going to steal some pieces from a devotional called Lectio 365 to help us out. So with heads bowed, let's pray. Father, as we enter into prayer now, we pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter our scattered thoughts on the presence of God. As I listen to this next verse, I listen for a particular word or phrase that the Holy Spirit is highlighting to me today. Amen. And here's the verse. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, shalom. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. The things that Jesus says he told them about is his big message in the Gospel of John about being and doing with the illustration of the vine and the branches that we read earlier. To really capture what the biblical word shalom means in English, we have to actually use a number of different words to describe it. So we'll go to the next slide. If the English word for peace is all about absence, the biblical word shalom in scripture is all about presence. The presence of wholeness, of joy, of well-being, 
unity, completeness, everything as it should be, the presence of God himself. The English word peace is also like, like the bird painting, often connected with, though, inaction or resting. But shalom goes deeper. For example, in the early church's life, being in shalom could be a season of strengthening, of encouragement, engagement, multiplication, an increase in wholeness, blessing and well-being, overflowing into sharing faith and seeing people connected to Christ. Shalom is part of the grand active work of Christ. Speaking about Jesus in Colossians 1, we'll go to the next one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making shalom, peace, through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see the presence, the activity? There's no passivity in that verse. God's shalom has action woven all through it, and we're called to participate in his great story, to join into God's love on the move, to put things right, to bring everything into a state of shalom. When Jesus sent out his first disciples to spread the gospel, what did he tell them to say? What did he tell them to do? The first words out of their mouths were supposed to be peace to this house. The first priority of evangelism is to impart peace. That's why it says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom bringers, for they'll be called children of God. But in the world, there's so much uncertainty. And here's how one person from my generation expressed it. I grew up with Steve Jobs, Bob Hope, and Johnny Cash. Now there's no hope, no cash, and no jobs. Please don't let anything happen to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> but for the Christian, it's not uncertain. The theologian Walter Brueggemann put it this way, the church is left free to risk for shalom because we're sure of its coming. God's shalom is here because Jesus declared it so. One doesn't risk for absence. By taking the gifts of God's shalom, we participate in God's eternal gospel work in a profound and a deep way. Next slide. Let's stop again to pray and continue this journey into shalom. As we pray, as an outward symbol of our inward state, start your prayer with your fists clenched. And as you hear God's invitation to yield, open and flip your hands palm upward to receive the gift. Let's pray. Jesus, in every season of my life, teach me the unforced rhythms of your grace. I surrender my hurried and worried rhythms of seeking success, approval, material. I ask to receive your shalom. God of shalom, I offer you my worries. I bring you my brokenness, and I surrender my striving. As I rest in your presence, I receive your peace. Give me the opportunity to share it with others. Let me be a peacemaker 
wherever you have put me. Amen. That prayer was our first step. But let's do a little reflection exercise to really see how to unlock the diamond we're supposed to be in reflecting the light. Although shalom is a state of being, as we've seen, there is an action in shaloming. That's a new verb I just made up, shaloming. Our action is about two key elements captured in the next slide for these reflection questions. I'll let you ponder them for a few seconds. First reflection question. Is what you're paying attention to leading you into shalom? And number two, are your efforts gaining you shalom? The two elements exposed in these reflection questions are attention, your attention, and your effort. When it comes to our attention, hey, look, we're going to pay attention to something. In all the noise of our culture, what are you listening to? Is it working for you? Or is it a mirage leading you on with false promises just out of your reach? Whatever you're paying attention to, is it leading you to shalom? Be honest about it. If it's not helping you, there's a reason. If Christ is not the life-giving center, our hearts have already been penetrated by life-robbing idols. In regards to our efforts, rather than directing our discipline, our strength, our willpower towards all the things our busy life demands, even if it is God's work, we need to use our discipline, our strength, our willpower to intentionally carve out encounters with Christ where we engage in a relationship and open ourselves up, yielding to him and letting him shape us through his image and character. Attention and effort directed to Christ and his word is the only path to shalom. Nurturing a growing spirituality with depth in our present-day culture, it's tough. A thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives is needed. It's a practice utterly foreign to the world around us, but the payoff is invaluable. Next slide. And the peace of God, the shalom, which transcends all understanding. It doesn't make any sense to our culture to be in this state. Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're doing in regards to daily time with Jesus, but I'm going to commend something to you that I found really, really impactful. Lectio Divina is an ancient Christian practice of scripture reading, of meditation, of prayer, for the express purpose of communion with God and engagement into his word. It doesn't treat scripture as text to just be studied to suck out propositional truths, but as the living word of God to be experienced. And it sounds deep and complicated, but as they say in our modern technological society, there is an app for that. And this is it. 
It's called Lectio 365. It's a free download. It provides an audio and a written devotional for both the morning, or if you'd also like, the evening. It takes about 10 minutes to do. And it's all about being in the presence of Christ and his word. I believe if we, had, if we direct our attention and our efforts to this action, our encounters with Jesus will reorient us away from the cultural idols that trap us and help us off that hamster wheel. We can apprehend shalom. And as a congregation, we're going to be in a much better posture to participate in whatever God has for us. Now, during the final songs, there's actually going to be people up front to pray with you, uh, if you're willing. And all of them are double-vaxxed, so you can be secure. Uh, if you want to start or to just strengthen your connection to Christ and his shalom, I encourage you to come up and be prayed for. Uh, if there's anything else, and even if it's not related, feel free to come up and be prayed for. All prayer shared here is confidential. And now our pro final prayer for our shalom journey this morning. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me when I don't make time for you in my life. When I allow busyness to take over, when I forget to walk with you. I want to be the diamond you created me to be, to give up my wanting to produce light, which I can't do and I often fail miserably at, and to even control where the light goes. Let me simply shine with the presence of my encounters with you, to risk for your shalom and to reflect Jesus in all I do and say, amen. Mike will actually now lead us in communion, which was instituted by Jesus to gather his people into a tangible act of shalom.